You're listening to episode two of the IU Talks podcast series produced by the Independent Evaluation Unit at the Green Climate Fund. In this episode, Dr. Jerich Faust of the German Institute for Development Evaluation discusses the power of impact evaluation in development cooperation. The discussion took place during a workshop in Mannheim, Germany in April 2019. The workshop was conducted by the IEU's learning-oriented real-time impact assessment, better known as LAUTA. LAUTA is designed to answer a number of questions such as how much change is caused by GCF's investment, who benefits and how. LAUTA also helps inform programs and projects in real time of their likelihood of success, allowing program and project implementers to adjust their approach. Additional information about the LAUTA program can be found on our website at ieu.greenclimate.fund. If you have questions or comments about the IEU podcast, tweet us at gcf underscore e-v-a-l using the hashtag I-E-U-P-O-D. I-E-U pod. Thank you. As he introduced himself, he is the director of German Institute for Development Coalition. He studied uh, business administration economics at Mannheim University, so he's uh, um, he had a PhD in political science, uh, and he is a professor of political science at the University of Essen, a member of scientific advisory. He has numerous publications uh, in the past, and also he has worked extensively on implementation and managing a complex research. Some honor, and uh, we're coming to look forward to your talk. You have about 25 minutes, and then we'll open the session, and then we will have a Q&A session as well. Thank you very much, Steve. Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you very much for having me here uh, this morning in, in my alma mater, where I studied um, about 30 years ago. And I had my first, first encounters with uh, impact evaluation, actually. And I'm going to tell you later about what this was. Um, my task is uh, probably to give you a short teaser about how our impact evaluation and actually my field of experiment, uh, experience is development cooperation. So um, I try to give some arguments to give you some arguments in the, in the coming 25 minutes about why we should do impact evaluation. So, uh, structure of my talk is um, introduction about evaluation and its functions, then this thing about rigorous impact evaluation and search for causality, and we'll talk two or three minutes about the necessity of evaluation and development cooperation and then particularly about the power of impact evaluation and development cooperation. And then some um, personal and preliminary takeaways um, which might provoke <coughs> some discussion. So if we um, think about evaluation in general, then um, evaluation and particularly impact evaluation in, in huge complex organizations generally, as you will see, um, are highly organized 
consider, and this is not usual in today's uh, global um, political atmosphere, evaluation as a child of modernity, where we accept that the world at least is not fully guided by divine interventions, but to a certain um, kind uh, shaped by mankind, that knowledge accumulation is possible and that societal progress is also driven by knowledge accumulation. So this is kind of the epistemological back background. And against this background, um, um, I think that evaluation uh, should and creates applicable knowledge through which it promotes learning and provides accountability for public policies. And through these functions of knowledge, creation, learning and accountability, then can improve the effectiveness of interventions and can improve and can promote democratic legitimacy of public policies. So actually, we have a knowledge function, we have an accountability function, and we have a learning function, which in the best of all words then has positive impact on the effectiveness and legitimacy of public policies. Um, however, um, if we think about public policies, whether in education, infrastructure, social protection, justice, justice increasing political participation, and so on, um, all these policy um, fields, these policy interventions, they have objectives and assume, at least to some extent, that there should be a causal relation between the intervention and society and social change, normally at the outcome or at the impact level. And in this regard, impact evaluation assesses the intended and unintended changes that can be attributed to particular intervention of a policy program or project. So, at the bottom line, impact evaluation is always about an attempt to identify and explain causality. The problem, however, is that identifying causality is not an easy thing, particularly <coughs> in complex social systems. So, um, what's the problem? A social scientists normally um, are confronted with several challenges for identifying causality. And this is the nightmare of this of these of these challenges is um, um, uh, at the end of the day it's called endogeneity. And there are several uh, reasons of endogeneity. The first is selection bias. So you all know from your experiences that we often tend to work with the good ones meaning with the more capable ones, with those who are better equipped to reach the objectives of the program or project. So if we have this situation that people, communities, cities, groups, self-select themselves into a program or project because they are in a better state of affairs than others, then we actually, at the end of the day, do not know whether progress was achieved due to um, uh, the capabilities of those who participated, who self-selected them into the program, or by the intervention. The second issue is reverse causality. Um, 
So, a common discussion in the social sciences is uh, the relation between political institutions and economic development. So, there are those who strongly defend the argument that political institutions do cause economic development. Democracy is good for inclusive development, economic development. But there are others who say, um, well, democracy is a result of economic development. Only after economic modernization, democracy, as we know it today, will emerge as a political regime. So, how do we know what is cause and what is effect if there are good theoretical arguments working in both directions? And the final thing is the omitted variable bias. Um, are we really sure that we are considering all variables who might have an effect on a given outcome? So from private sector, from marketing, there's this example that if you increase the costs of marketing, then sales volumes will go up. But is this really right? Perhaps, as we know from today, research, the business climate drives both variables. So in a good business environment, in a good business climate situation, you will increase costs for marketing, and in a good business climate situation, sales volume will increase. So actually, if you do not take into account the business climate, you might get wrong causal explanations. So all of those are the nightmare of um, social scientists, and this nightmare generally is called endogeneity. So how do we deal with it? Is there a way of dealing with it? Of course there is. I mean, um, how to deal with these challenges? You have to search for the counterfactual. You have to ask yourself always the question, what would have happened if the intervention had not been implemented? And this is obviously, uh, obviously the question with which you will deal for the coming two or three days, and hopefully the years after, when you implement rigorous impact evaluation. The common instrument for dealing with this counterfactual are randomized control trials, where you randomly assign treatment for control groups. And um, while this is common, or at least in parts of development cooperation today, um, it, it originates at least partly from the private sector. And that's my example from Mannheim from 30 years ago. Um, when I was a, a graduate student in business administration and marketing here at the university, uh, professors actually explained or came to students with field experiments um, for marketing research. And I, I choose those two examples, beer, beer and crisps, and eye level is by level. So what does this mean? It means that uh, you, if you, if you present beer and crisps together in the supermarket during the uh, World Soccer Championship, you will sell more of both. If you bring together those two 
uh, in the supermarket. And the eye level is the buy level. You know, it's, 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 it's common knowledge today that sales of a product go up if they are presented at the eye level. So if you want to sell more cookies and lollipops, which normally the children want to have, then you have to present them at this stage. Well, if you have, want to present, or you want to sell stuff, which cigarettes or alcohol, then you have to present them at this, at this, uh, at this height. So, um, there are a lot of lessons from marketing and product placement, which are actually um, um, derived from field experiments in these areas. So, what you do is the assignment of particular product placements to a randomly chosen group of supermarkets. And then you see what is the average effect of those uh, particular placements in comparison to other situations. And then from these lessons, you can, um, you can uh, um, um, set your price levels, for instance, for different shelf heights. So, I think what you also will present to you later on is that you can solve the problem of an endogeneity um, with rigorous impact evaluation. And if you look again from, uh, at the private sector and all those field experiments which have been done during the last decades, then you come to several advantages. The first one is you can test interventions and you can test policies on a small scale before you roll it out. So if you are unsure about it, whether uh, uh, intervention works or not, you can test it. And you don't have to go to the risk of a full investment, but you can test interventions with RCTs on a small scale, uh, uh, scale before you happily roll it out. Um, you can avoid mistakes by being too confident in conventional wisdoms. We do a lot of mistakes because we think things should work in a certain way when they don't. So, if you are starting a program, a multi-annual program, then why don't you test your conventional wisdom by implementing a small experiment? Obviously, you can promote efficiency by um, those instruments because the information will give you um, very crucial information about the cost effectiveness and this is about setting the price as well. You also can compare different types of interventions in different contexts. It's not that you only have one option of doing a certain intervention, but you can do several options, uh, interventions and uh, several tests at the same time in different contexts. So rigorous impact evaluation or analysis is a way for testing several options at the same time. And obviously um, rigorous impact evaluation is not only about accountability, it's not about control. It might be used for accountability reasons, but it is as important for learning, uh, for research, and for development. 
most importantly, perhaps, it also forces you to think more about theory. It forces you setting up a, a, an experiment, setting up a rigorous um, assessment, makes you think about why potential effects may arise or may not arise. So it actually improves your intervention logic. It has huge potential of improving your intervention logic. So um, does it matter for development cooperation? Of course it does. I mean, you, perhaps you know some of those books, but there, there, there are dozens around criticize development cooperation for not providing um, uh, the, the expected outcomes and impacts. So there is a huge differentiated and critical debate about the effectiveness of development cooperation because there are unclear effects of aid or growth, poverty, conflict, governance, and perhaps also climate change and climate adaptation. Nevertheless, if you, you, you take a look and you see ODA, ODA levels are rising. So in this environment where there is on the one hand rising resources, on the other hand increasingly critical debate, what, you should, what should you do? You should invest in knowledge creation. You should invest in increasing uh, impact evaluation and asking, asking yourself seriously about whether your objectives are achieved, whether aid works, whether development cooperation works, and how does it Questions, some already um, put that um, Particularly, um, I think that evaluation in development cooperation is so important because if we again look at the functions of evaluation and foreign aid or development cooperation, at the end of the day, often is an external intervention under uncertainty. And this is a typical situation where there's a knowledge gap. So the knowledge function of evaluation, creating knowledge, is particularly relevant in settings where we invest in an external environment which we do not know. Moreover, foreign aid and project and programs, whether in education or in um, uh, uh, governance or in climate change adaptation, they consist of repeat interventions. Repeat interventions. It's not a one-shot game. We do it again and again in a different context. So from a relational perspective, there's a huge potential for learning. And finally, in foreign aid, in development cooperation, there's a huge principal agent problem. We all have heard probably about principal agent problems, about feedback problems. So the taxpayer um, in the donor country is totally disconnected, or often very disconnected, from um, the beneficiaries. Uh, in developing countries. So, but those are the two principles to say so in a, um, in a deliberate chain of foreign aid. And in between there, lots of governments and agencies with special interests. And this creates a huge accountability problem. 
So here, evaluation is also a good instrument um, for an increasing demand of accountability in development cooperation. So, make more use of rigorous impact evaluation assessments because you are working in a field where evaluation functions can make a real difference. And I give you an explanation. So, typical situation, this one is from um, Indonesia, it's about growth <coughs> construction and fiduciary risks. So what we have here is a large multi-annual infrastructure program to finance small rural roads. Construction is organized in a decentralized manner by the communities. So it's central government money co-financed by huge um, World Bank pro pro uh, program and um, but, but the implementation is at the very local community level. And obviously, in these kind of infrastructure problems, which you find all around the world, there's a huge problem of fiduciary risks and inefficiencies. Local corruption, local clientelism, etc. So, we know that this kind of program will be there for 10, 15, 20 years. There are huge infrastructure. But at the same time, um, we know that there are these corruption issues. So why don't, shouldn't we test for different accompanying measures which might reduce corruption? So what this impact evaluation did, um, because ending the intervention yeah, was not an option, it tested several options for reducing fiduciary risks or inefficiencies. So, first of all, there was a top-down approach. Local communities, a certain randomly chosen group of local communities was threatened with a visit by a general auditor. So, normally there was a 4% chance that auditors would come after the implementation of the project. Now, to a certain group, this probability was increased to 100%. And in the second group, there was local participation mechanisms implemented. Town hall meetings, and people were, were asked about the efficiency and effectiveness of those local community and infrastructure projects. And third, there was a control group. So actually what you tested here is two typical approaches for reducing corruption and inefficiency, a top-down approach, control approach, and a bottom-up approach, participation approach. And by doing this in a context of a randomly assigned, uh, of, a, of, a, of an RCT, of a field experiment, you could really get robust evidence about what worked at least in a short-term context. And surprisingly, there were clear effects of the top-down approach, and there were only mixed effects compared to the control group of local participation group, of the local participation compared to the control group. So these findings were of very high importance. 
policy implications for local governments and national institutions because actually they showed that perhaps it was a good idea to strengthen to strengthen the general auditor's office, to strengthen the reach of the general auditor's office, to decrease corruption within the office of the general auditor, to make this a real meritocratic institution with a national reach also at the local level. But at the same time, uh, results were sobering with regard to the effectiveness of local participation mechanisms, at least in the short run. Um, I'll give you a second example um, where I want to highlight um, not only the lessons we learned from the effects from randomized control trials, but rather um, the potential of improving our theoretical thinking about what works and what doesn't. So, rigorous impact evaluations, if done well, are not only about identifying cause and effect, they also look at the mechanisms which are responsible for causing a certain effect. So, Theory matters and good impact evaluations should improve the intervention logic and thus future planning processes by analyzing the causal mechanisms which are at work, which are responsible for causal certain And I call this example the mother-in-law effect and it is taken from a um, um, Nutritional counseling, counseling project in Bangladesh. It's also a famous study done by Howard White. And actually, um, there was this project for better nutrition of pregnant women and small children in Bangladesh. And it was transferred to Bangladesh from another country where it had very, very good um, um, results. So, what you do is um, you provide nutritional counseling for mothers and supplementary feeding. Hereafter, with the quasi-experimental analysis, um, you did an ex-post ex comparison of similar groups of persons which received the counseling and the supplementary feeding with, with a group which did not. So a typical counterfactual setting. And what you found is that there were almost no positive effects, although monitoring data and experiences in other contexts context suggested otherwise. So obviously there was something wrong with the intervention logic. There was something missing. And the missing link here was that in the particular setting of Bangladesh, there was a problem with the targeting. Because men and mothers-in-law were not targeted by the, uh, by, by, by the intervention. It's, it was the young woman and, young, and, and, and pregnant woman but mothers-in-law and men were crucial for the effectiveness of the program because they were the ones responsible for buying food and distributing it within the household. So the intervention was based on a wrong intervention logic. It was based on a wrong assumption about the causal mechanism. 
and it ignored the crucial uh, context-specific social mechanism which was at work in this particular context. So, my point here is that with good rigorous impact evaluation, we do not learn only about cause and effect, but also about the social mechanisms which are at work, and this can provide very, very valuable insights for better planning and for better implementation of So what are my preliminary conclusions? Um, yes, it's a powerful instrument for identifying and explaining causality in public policy, not only in development corporations, but in many other areas. It's also a valuable instrument in private sector interventions. If, if impact implementation um, considers um, four, four crucial points, for being a good impact evaluation, there should be an analysis of the intervention logic, the assumed theory of change, there should be a thorough context analysis, the environment where your intervention takes place. There should be an implementation of an experimental design or quasi-experimental design. So this control group thinking. And at the end of the day, you should confront your empirical results again with your theory and your contracts. And if, if this is done all together, then I think your project, your pro program can profit a lot. And finally, um, I think rigorous impact evaluation fulfill learning functions and accountability functions. And moreover, they improve planning and ongoing interventions. So rigorous impact evaluation is not only about doing this exposed thing after the intervention is finished. If you plan a good rigorous impact evaluation, then implementation learning will profit a lot. <coughs> Last point, it's easy to communicate. You know these big and huge reports with a lot of blah blah? They try to communicate to political decision makers why the projects work and why they should invest more and why they should do this and that. I think rigorous impact evaluation is a very powerful tool to communicate because you can communicate the essence of what you are doing and what the results of what, have you, what you have been doing in a very concrete and um, condensed way which is very um, very um, interesting for policymakers and decision makers because they are interested in recommendations from evaluations about what they should do, what they should change. They are interested in causal explanations also, framed in a way that gives them advice for taking political decisions. And I'm quite sure that uh, 
Joe and others will now explore and will go more into detail about the methodological tricks about rigorous impact evaluation and I'm happy to receive any answers from you.